Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a hearing problem. Did you know that? I have a hearing problem. Um, it's, not, it's not medically confirmed, but it's confirmed by my wife. There's something, I've, I've gone and had tests done on my hearing, and it's perfectly fine as far as a doctor is concerned, but there's something about the atmosphere of my house that clogs my ear canals, makes me incapable of hearing. Now, I'm convinced that Jess just doesn't talk loud enough. So I have this little technique that I use when she says something too quietly for me to hear her. I just go, what? Just extremely unnecessarily loud, I scream what? So that she might subconsciously get the message that she isn't speaking loud enough and thinking maybe it will cause her to speak at a higher volume. And it does. It does. <laughs> Not the kind of volume I was expecting, but a higher volume nonetheless. We have, a, we have a kind of a, we just confess that we have a shouting house. We don't have a quiet house. If you've met our kids, you probably could guess that we have, a sh we have a shouting house. We don't have an inside voice rule that doesn't exist at our house. There is one voice loud all the time. And so in order to get each other's attention, we don't do the civilized thing where you, if somebody's upstairs, where you walk upstairs and try to get their attention and then ask them the question that you have. We just yell it. Does anybody else, anybody else house shouters? It's because I don't want to get out of my chair. Certainly don't want to do that. I don't want to walk all the way upstairs. That drives Jess just a little bit crazy because she's probably the quietest of all of us, if you could believe that. Um, so, but it, it never seems to work right because a lot of times I'll yell upstairs trying to get the kid's attention, but then I don't get verbal confirmation back. But for some reason, I still go on as if they've heard me when there's no promise that they have. See, we shout, but even, even when we shout, it is very difficult to communicate through a barrier like a floor or a wall or a door. Don't even get me started on the people who try to talk to you when you're in the bathroom. That's ridiculous. It's not going to work, okay? Or when you're in the shower. I get that all the time. The kids want to, like, talk to me while I'm in the shower. They're yelling through the door, through the sound of the shower. I can't hear a word they're saying, so I'm just yelling back at them, and they're yelling at me, and it doesn't work because you cannot communicate through a barrier, Okay? You just can't. It makes it very, very difficult. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to prove it to you in case you aren't exactly sure. And so, um, and so I need a volunteer. And Well, not a volunteer. I want to pick somebody. So uh, I am going to pick um, Heath. Yep. You tried to divert your eyes. That was the problem you made. Usually you think that if you don't make eye contact, you won't get chosen. But that's the opposite with me because I know that trick because I do that trick. All right, come here. Right here. Stand right here for me. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I just want you to tell me what you did this weekend. All right? Went out in the boat. Just start. Well, give me more details. Bye. Start. Start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. He's demonstrated. No, okay. <clears throat> All right, so start Saturday morning and just kind of take me through your day. Saturday morning, I uh, went and met some friends at the lake and took them to ride around in the boat. Uh, we went and got ice cream at the marina. Mm-hmm. We, no, keep going. I'm listening. We came back, put the boat on the trailer. Yep. Went home and slept the rest of the day, and that's pretty much it. All right, tell me what you did Friday. No, I, I really want to know. I want to know. Tell me what you did Friday. <laughs> Let's see. Friday. Yep. Uh, I'm sure I did dishes and the laundry. Mm-hmm. 
No, I'm listening. It's cool, man. I'm listening. Keep going. Uh huh. Sure. No, keep going. I'm listening. It's cool. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding, right? So it's hard. It's hard when somebody's not listening or when you know they're they're in another room or whatever. It's hard to communicate. So just do, start again. Tell me tell me again what you did on on um, Friday. Allow me to state the obvious, okay? It is very difficult to have a relationship with a bag over your head. But here's the thing, ready? All of us walk around with bags over our heads. All of us. And then wonder why it's so difficult to, for us to have good relationships with people. And wonder why it's so difficult for us to have an open and honest relationship with God. The reason is because of this. It's because we walk around with barriers in front of us, barriers in front of our heart, barriers in front of our mind, barriers in front of our emotions that create basically a bag over the head effect. Y'all remember the saints? You remember the ain'ts? Anybody remember the ain'ts back in the day when they were so bad that people would show up to the game with bags over their heads and holes cut out for the eyes so they could watch the game, but so nobody could actually know who they are? Remember that? So they wouldn't be identified as a Saints fan even though they were? That's what the bags are over our heads. The bag over our head are the things that we don't want people to see. They're the things that we don't want people to know. They're the things, they're, they're, the bag, a bag for you might be shame. Something that happened to you in your past or something you did in your past that you're ashamed of and you are just deathly afraid that somebody's going to find out. And because you've got that bag over your head, because you're holding that in, because you're hiding that thing, because you're keeping it locked away, it's preventing you from having the kinds of relationships with people or the kind of relationship with God that you want to have. Your, the bag for you might be regret over a decision you made. The bag for you might be a secret that you're holding. The bag for you might be a lifestyle or a habit that you're engaging with, but you don't want anybody to know that you're doing it, that you're thinking it, that you're saying it, that you're feeling it. You don't want anybody to know. And the thing is, we put the bag over our head because we think it's going to protect our relationships. Because we think that if they knew, then they wouldn't love me, then they wouldn't like me. When really the bag is not protecting your relationships, it's isolating you. It's making you feel cut off, shut off. And what it creates, it creates not only distance, but it creates fear. Because you, I, I, I'm saying you, and I want you to know that when I'm saying you, I'm saying me, because <laughs> I'm the same. It creates for us constant fear that we're going to be found out. 
constant fear that we're going to be revealed, constant fear that we're going to be exposed. And so it creates, it creates worse, even adrenaline rushes when certain things happen. It's the reason that your adrenaline spikes. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get a little less serious for a second. It's the reason your adrenaline spikes when you see a cop. Because you're afraid. You're instantly afraid that you're doing something wrong. There's something maybe that you don't even know about that they're going to see and you're going to be in trouble. Was I speeding? Was I not speeding? I don't know, right? It creates a barrier. Or maybe, maybe your adrenaline spikes because you've got something in the car you shouldn't have in the car. Or because you're going somewhere you know you're not supposed to be going or coming from somewhere you know you're not supposed to be coming from. Or because you haven't been paying attention or whatever. It's the reason, it's the reason that you instantly tense up when your parents pick up your phone. Start scrolling through it. It's the reason you get really nervous when your spouse starts going through your text messages. That's a little more serious, okay? It's the reason that you get nervous when your boss comes to stop by your station. You're afraid you're going to be found out. You're afraid there's going to be something there that's going to change the relationship that you have with that person. We all walk around with a bag over our head. And I do the same thing. All the secrets, all the shame, all the regrets, all those things. And they isolate us. And I think, if, I think if I could just release all of that, if I could actually walk with my head held high without any fear of what other people are going to think about me because of what I'm doing or because of what I've done, then I could have confidence. Then I could have confidence in front of God instead of being afraid in front of God. That I could have confidence in front of other people instead of being afraid when I'm with other people that I'm going to be exposed. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus was weird. He was weird. And the definition of weird is suggesting the supernatural. That when people looked at him, they saw something that was beyond this world. He was weird. And Jesus had no bag over his head. He had, he had no secrets. He had no shame. He had no guilt. So he had no underlying fear that he was going to be found out, that he was going to be exposed, that he was going to be labeled a hypocrite, that he, he was going to get trapped in a corner by someone else. He had absolutely no fear. So he walked around with this sense of confidence that is just mind-boggling. And for me, this is the message I've really been waiting for in this series because when I look at Jesus, it's one of the things about him that I most admire and I most want. I want to be able to walk around with that kind of confidence. That like when people came and they brought accusations against him, he knew he had no skeletons in the closet. He knew he had nothing to hide. And so he wasn't worried about them. He wasn't going to be swayed by what other people thought or what their opinions were. And he certainly wasn't going to be tricked. He walked in complete confidence. And I look at Jesus and I go, I want that. I want to be like that. I want to be able to look my wife in the eye without having any fear of what she might find out. I want to be able to look my kids in the eye without any fear of who they're going to think that their dad is. I want to be able, I want to, be able to look God in the eye one day when I go to meet him with complete confidence that I am who I'm supposed to be. I want that. And I hope you want it. And if we want it, there's a, we're going to learn how, okay? We're going to learn how. But I'm not going to teach you because I don't have this thing figured out yet. We're going to learn from a guy named John. All right, so if you have your Bible, go to the book of 1 John. This, now, don't confuse this with the Gospel of John. This is 1 John. It's one of three letters toward the back of your Bible, um, right, before, uh, right before, getting right before Revelation. So I'll give you a second to get there. John is um, Jesus' best friend. 
Okay, so he knows Jesus better than anybody. He walked around with him. He was as stunned, if not more stunned, by who Jesus was than anybody else. He'd have been the first person to say Jesus was weird, if he'd used that word, um, if, <laughs> if he knew that in English. <clears throat> but in 1 John, uh, we're going to go to chapter 1. There's really good news here. I mean, if you want to be able to walk in openness and honesty and freedom, this is the key, what we're about to read, all right? Whether, and if you're, if you're a Christian, um, it may be things that you struggle with with sin. It may be relationships that you struggle with. Um, if you're not a Christian, it may be your relationship with your God, and you're wondering, like, how do I even relate to this guy when I know that I've made mistakes? Some of you, some of you may not be Christians, and the reason you're not a Christian is because you just know that if you say, I believe that there's a God, you know you're instantly accountable to him. And, and you're not quite, you're not ready for that. But you, you need to know that whether you believe God exists or not doesn't change the fact that he does and that you are accountable to him. And, but I want you to know that there's good news when we look at God. All right, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. This is the message that I've heard from him, Christ, and I proclaim to you. That God is light. And it's going to give us this really great analogy of light and dark, um, light and darkness. This is the message that we've heard in, from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What that means is that God is completely holy. He is set apart, He is perfect, He is without sin whatsoever. All right, so that's, that's really, really good news because I don't want to follow a God who's sinful like me. Um, yeah, that wouldn't work out well. So uh, He is without sin. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Saying, so he's, he's drawing a problem out right here. He's saying, so God is completely holy and God is completely set apart, but you're not. And I'm not. So how is it possible for us to have a relationship with a perfect holy God when we're sinful? Like, if God is in a completely white room, I can't walk in there with my muddy boots, can I? I'm going to mess the whole thing up. So he's saying, if we say that we have fellowship with God, if we think that we can have a relationship with God while we walk in darkness, we're kidding ourselves. You can't do that. There's a barrier. The darkness is the bag over your head. You can't have a relationship with God with, with a bag over your head. So it's good news and bad news all at the same time. All right? We're going to have to roll with John. He kind of he waffles back and forth between the two as he's writing. Uh, now, verse 7. But, so good news, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So if we take the bag off our head, if we walk in the light, then we can, we can relate well to each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from all sin. So that's great news. Right, so all we have to do is walk in the light. If we walk in the light, if, if, we, if we, we take all this sin and all this shame, we get it out in the open and we live in honest, then we can have a relationship with God. That seems like really, really good news. Uh, do, do you know, let me ask you, if you know what it feels like to walk in the light. Do you know what it feels? Do you know the difference? Do you feel the difference between walking in the light and walking in the dark? Um, I can feel that. I can feel the difference. And I, in fact, in my life, I know when I'm in one place or another. I could just sense it. I would imagine you probably can too. And what happens are not only do we walk in the light and the dark, but there are areas of our life where we walk in the light and walk in the dark. And there's some areas where we're walking in light and there's some areas where we're walking in dark. And you can tell the difference. One of the things for Jess and I years and years ago was money. It was like, 
we, we didn't have any desire to use the money that we had the way that God wanted us to. And it was like this black hole. It was just like, it was, it was, it was just this area of our life that felt segregated off, that felt um, sequestered from everything else. It felt like a totally separate part of our life. Like God was over here and doing this for us, but we're handling this over here. And it just felt dark while this felt light. And eventually we realized how to take this out of the dark into the light. And it's so much better. And it's great news. It's great news that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, cleanses us from all sin. But then John says this, verse 8. <laughs> he keeps going back and forth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's like, God is perfect, and you can't walk in the darkness and have fellowship with him, but if you walk in the light, then you can have fellowship with him and with other people, but you can't walk in the light. <laughs> So he's like, he's taking us on this roller coaster back and forth. And it's like, I'm getting a little confused at this point. I'm going, John, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And John's, believe it or not, so John, I think he's making a joke in verse um, number eight. Now, it's a serious teaching point, but I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek because pastors do this joke all the time. We just tell it a little differently. We say, all right, so nobody's perfect and I'll prove it. Raise your hand if you're perfect. And somebody will raise their hand, usually in the room. It's typically a teenager. Will raise their hand. <laughs> well, they don't have as much time under their belts, I'm sure. But, uh, but will raise their hand and say, oh, it's me. And then the pastor will go, oh, see, you just lied, so you're not perfect. That's pretty much what John is saying right here. He says, if you say you have no sin, so if you say you're perfect, you, we just, you deceive yourself and the truth's not in you. So he's saying, well, if you say you don't have a sin, you're a liar. So, yeah, there's a sin already. So we're covered. It's, it's kind of, anyway, it's a joke. It's not that funny. Anyway, um, the point is, the point is that you can't be perfect and I can't be perfect. That as hard as we may try to live in the light, as much as we may make effort to walk in the light, as good as we may possibly want to be or try to be, we've still got a bag over our head. And it's like we got a bag over our head, but no arms because we can't take it off. And we can't shake it off. And we just keep sliding back into the dark no matter how hard we try. And it's like we're juggling balls. And we've got all these things that like we're doing really, really well. Like, oh man, I'm doing really, really well. I'm staying out of the dark. 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 And you look down and you realize, oh, there's my anger problem on the ground. We got to pick that back up and you pick it back up and you work on it and then you're juggling and you realize something else is on the ground and it's just not possible, not possible for us to walk through life without sin. So how do we do, how would we walk in the light? How can we have honesty? How can we have openness? How can we know that we're good with God? How can we know that we're good with other people? John gives us the key in verse nine. It's like he builds all this tension and then he resolves it. Verse nine, he says, if we confess our sin, and you might, if you're taking notes or if you have your Bible or you're writing or you're like, you have your um, mobile device, highlight, circle, underline, mark the word confess. Let me give you a few words to mark. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive, mark the word forgive, to forgive us our sins and cleanse, mark the word cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Three steps to having honesty with God and honesty with other people that he gives us right here. It's one of the most impactful verses in the whole Bible. The first step is to confess. Now, anybody with any sense will tell you the first thing you have to do in order to recover, in order to heal, is to confess. 
You can't work on a problem until you admit that there is a problem. And that's what confession does. And so you have to confess. You got to tell someone. You got to come out with it because there is something that is dragging you down, that is holding you in the dark, that is chaining you, that is confining you, that is compressing you, that is isolating you, that is exiling you. And it is going to hold you in the dark until you drag it out into the light. You got to tell somebody. You got to talk about it. And so let me confess to you. I'll tell you what my biggest thing is. The biggest thing that I deal with right now is anxiety. Anxiety is the bag that is constantly over my head and that I am fighting constantly to remove. Anxiety is the fear of things that have not happened yet, which sounds insane when you put it that way. Anxiety is the fear of what may happen instead of what is happening. And I, I live, and this is why I have to confess this and, and work on it, and I've confessed it to Jess, and we work on this constantly, but I live with a constant underlying fear that I'm not going to make it, that I'm not going to be good enough, that I'm, that, like, when I think about my kids, I live with this constant fear that I'm going to screw them up, and I'm not going to know until it's too late. Like, they're going to be 25 years old, and they're going to start making decisions that I would never wish for them, that I don't agree with them, and it's going to be because I, it's going to be because I forgot to teach them about honesty or something, or because I didn't discipline them in the right way. And so I'm constantly on edge about that. When, when it comes to, the, to like the church, it's a big risk to start a church. I, I, live, I live in constant fear, anxiety, that this isn't going to, like, it's not going to work, that it's not going to be successful, that I'm going to let people down, that I'm going to forget something, that there's going to be some major area of ministry that we're not doing well enough, and it's going to leave a void in someone's life, and they're not going to develop into a fully mature follower of Christ because I missed the boat. I, I, live in, I live in constant fear that I'm not going to make the right decisions for my family, that I'm going to take the, the wrong step, that I'm going to make a selfish decision and that it's going to derail things for our family financially or in our careers or our kids in school or whatever it may be. And because I deal with this all the time, it leads me to um, some very, very negative results that isolate me. Um, I end up with... I end up with a, I've got a temper with my kids, okay? And it's because when I'm thinking about what I need to be doing, they're asking me to do what they want me to be doing. And I'm put in tension moments, and I don't always handle those tension moments well, and so I lose my cool with my kids because they're inconveniencing me, because, because they're distracting me from what I think I really need to be doing in order to make sure that I'm not a failure, in whatever area it is where I feel like I might become a failure. It, it causes me to constantly be dissatisfied with what I have because I'm always thinking about what I need instead of what I have. It causes me to be a borderline, well, let me say recovering, because I'm aware, a recovering workaholic. I, I have drive. I work all of the time because I'm afraid that one of those balls is going to fall and I don't want to let any of them slip. It's fear. And here's what it does. I am very rarely present because my mind is usually in the future. And it isolates me. 
It isolates me from the people that I love. It isolates me from the people that I care about. The very people that I'm trying to serve, it creates a barrier between me and them. I'm thinking about something that might happen and contingencies for that thing that might happen as opposed to what's in front of me at the moment. It isolates me. And so this is confession time for me to confess that to you. I'm telling the only way that we're going to make progress is if we tell somebody. We got to tell God. We got to tell each other. Now, you don't have to tell someone else. To be clear, we're having a conversation. Jess and I were having a conversation about this um, yesterday. You don't have to tell someone else, but there's something about telling someone else that's a lot more tangible than telling God. We tell God and we have faith that He hears us and that He helps us. But there's still something intangible about this. Does that make sense? It's like when the words come out of your mouth and they hit someone else's ears, now it's real instead of being an idea. And I know it's scary. I know that it's, it's a very fearful thing to do. I'm telling you, you got to come out with it. Confess. Look that thing, whatever it is that's holding you in the dark, look it dead square in the eyes, knock it upside the head, and drag it out into the light. Get it out where someone else can see it, and you can begin to heal, and you can begin to recover. You got to drag it out into the light, and I know that's scary. I know because the very reason we're hiding it is we're afraid of the consequences of somebody else finding out. So the reason that we don't want to bring it out into the light is because we fear those consequences. Because we're afraid that if I tell my wife that, she's going to think this about me, and that might never change. If I tell my kids this, they're going to look at me this way. And that might be the, the image that they carry with them the, their entire life. If I tell my parents this, they're going to be disappointed in me. And they're not going to trust me anymore. Or if I tell my boss, they're, they're not going to trust me as an employee and they're going to fire me. I might lose my job. What you're doing is you're choosing to avoid short-term pain, but inflicting greater long-term pain. And I can tell you from, from experience, it is much better to live with consequences in the light than it is shame in the dark. It is much, 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 I promise you, much better to live with consequences in the light than it is shame in the dark because you can finally move on. You aren't stuck. You aren't in a quagmire. You aren't mired down in your own, a prison of your own creating in your head, in your heart. You're not walking around with a bag over your head anymore. So you need to confess. And I know the thing is that when we do confess to people, there are oftentimes consequences. But here's what I want you to hear a, a promise from God. That if you come to God in faith and you confess your sin, no matter how heinous you may think it is, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin. There may be consequences with other people, but there are no consequences with God when you confess. There are no consequences with God when you confess. You are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Because Jesus Christ lived without the bag over his head, went to the cross, and on the cross took on our sin, on our shame, all those things that hold us down. He offers to take that right away from you. 
I mean, to free you from it. That's an amazing, amazing guarantee, an amazing promise that he will forgive you of your sin. He takes that to the grave with him. He rises again three days later in power and glory, and he says, you can be free. So for us to see that and know that and not receive it and not embrace it is foolish. I mean, it's, it's like... It's, it's like masochistic to, to continue to live in your pain and in your shame when Jesus Christ has offered to take that from you and to remove the consequences for it from you. So we got to confess. we got to accept forgiveness. And so let me talk about forgiveness just for a moment because it can be a little bit confusing. We need to keep asking God for forgiveness We need to keep confessing to God, not because our sins aren't forgiven. Like when I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and I asked him to forgive my sins, he forgave me completely. When when I walk up to him in heaven, he's not going to see my sin. He's not going to see all the things that I've done wrong and the fear and the shame and all that anxiety that I deal with. He's not going to see that. He's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ covering my sin. I'm not worried about that. That's going to happen. But what happens now is that as I sin... As I continue to keep secrets, as I continue to deal with anxiety and shame and and depression and the other things that I struggle with personally, anger and all those things, it continues to create a barrier between me and him here. So when I'm keeping things from him, when I'm not obeying him, when I'm keeping things in the dark and not walking in the light, it, it hurts my fellowship with God now. Which is why when I, need, when I come to him, I need to confess my sin to him and get it out in the open to clear it up so that the bag comes off my head and I can be face-to-face with God now. Does that make sense? That's the difference. That's why we ask forgiveness and confess now, even though we will be forgiven. Um, we know we'll be forgiven in heaven. He says, so confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And he says, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is like, this is the... Ah, moment in the scripture. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. The slate is wiped clean. When we come, when we come to God and we say, God, I confess these things, he goes, okay, start over. It's like when you've ever had that in a relationship where things got just so messed up, you didn't even quite know what to do with it anymore. And so you sat down together and you said, hey, I don't know how to fix all of this. All I know is we need to start over. And you wiped, it, you wiped it clean. Not to go back and do things the way you used to do it, but to start in a new direction together. And when it says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that's what it is. It's, it's God going, okay, wipe it away. All right, we're going to move that, and we're going in a new direction. We're making new decisions. And the only way you're going to heal is if you change direction. If you are cleansed and you begin living more and more and more for God. It's a fresh start. Um, I want to tell you about my mom for a minute. And I'll warn you, I might get emotional. It's hard for me not to get emotional when I talk about my mama. But uh, my mom had a very difficult childhood. And I think I've talked about her before. But she had a very difficult childhood um, because she was abused by her father. Um, and he, he, had, he had gone to war. It had, it had really, really messed him up. And um, they didn't, back then, just didn't know how to deal with that. And uh, so he dealt with it by drinking and was an alcoholic, was abusive, um, 
and their family stayed with him for years and years and years and years and years. And it just continued, continued to affect my mom, and obviously in ways that I can't understand, but it continued to isolate her. And she took all of that, and this might be some of you, she took all of that and she just stuffed it. She stuffed it so far down that she didn't think she, she could think about it anymore. But it continued to affect her every single day in many ways that she didn't even realize at the time. And it started getting worse and worse and worse. Now, my grandfather died when I was two years old. So I've, I've met him technically, but I don't know him. And over the next 10 years, until I was about 12, all of this stuff started just coming up in her life. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Shame and fear and anger, anger with her dad, anger with her mom for staying, anger with herself for not doing something about it. And all of this came welling up in her and it started to boil over when I was about 12 years old. And she had a friend that was trying to help her talk through it and figure out, but it was too much for her to handle. One night, my mom went, was going to her house to talk to her, to get counseling from her. And she was so overwhelmed that she was, she couldn't see through her tears. So she just pulled over to the side of the road and she fell and she cried herself to sleep in her car on the side of the road. None of us knew where she was. We called the cops. The cops were out looking for her everywhere. Couldn't find her. Finally at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., they found her on the side of the road asleep in her car and brought her home. Scared us all to death, scared her to death. And she knew she had to do something about it. That she couldn't keep living like this. She couldn't keep living in exile, feeling uh, isolated and ostracized from everyone else, excommunicated from everyone who didn't understand what she was going through in her mind. And so she knew she had to do something about it. And so uh, my mom made the, the brave decision to go to inpatient treatment. For herself for our family. <laughs> and so she was gone for three months and uh, dad managed the house while she was gone. She went to, a, went to a place in Chicago and they helped her to be honest. They helped her to confess what she was feeling and what she was thinking and bring it to the surface. They helped her to understand forgiveness. Forgiveness for herself. Forgiveness for her dad who was gone. I mean, he was gone at that point. Forgiveness for her mom. And when she came home, I'm telling you, it was like, it was like she was clean. Almost like rehab for the soul, you know? When she came home, she was cleansed from all of it. She was actually able to talk to us about it in, in, without, without losing it. It's like, yeah, it's like rehab for the soul. That's the only way I know how to say that. She came back clean, cleansed of all unrighteousness, whether it was hers or someone else. It's like, it's like the bag had been lifted off of her head. And we could finally, finally be who we were supposed to be as a family. And she knew she could be with God what she was supposed to be with God. This is a process that all of us deal with on different levels. And I'm telling you, 
It's an ongoing process of confession and forgiveness and cleansing and confession and forgiveness and cleansing. It's like laundry, okay? Uh, Jess says all the time, she looks at her, she's like, how is there so much laundry in this place? We just keep producing it. I'm like, I don't know, we keep wearing clothes. That's your problem right there. (laughs) We could solve, Jairus has figured out how to solve that problem. (laughs) He just doesn't wear them. But, uh, But that's how it is. It's a constant process, a constant process. And I just think about, I just want to get closer and closer to the way Jesus lived. He was weird. Head held high all the time. No fear, no shame, no regret, no concern. Look, I just, man, I want that so bad. And um, later in the letter, John's starting to bring things home. And he says, he puts it this way, and I just, I can't put it better. So this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. So we've come to know and to believe. That's That's head and heart, right? We've come to know and believe, and they both matter. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I love that. There it is, right? So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That we go through this process, and we can walk, spend more and more time in the light. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. We've talked about that, right? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. He can remove that fear. It's time. I'm telling you, it's time. I don't know what your thing is, but it's time to remove the bag. It's time to to drag your secret out in the light. It's time, to, it's time to bring your shame to the surface instead of burying it deeper and deeper. It's time to accept forgiveness and be cleansed. It's time to, to stand confidently before God and men. You've been running, you've been hiding, you've been scared, and it's time to come clean. It's time to confess, to accept forgiveness, and to be cleansed. It's time to, it's time to get out ahead of it before it gets you to be proactive instead of having to be reactive and to, to embrace the process of change and honesty and joy that is confessing and forgiving and cleansing. It's time to move from loneliness to community. It's time to move from concealing to revealing, from confinement to freedom from feeling exiled to feeling reconciled, from, being, from reclusion to inclusion, from segregation to integration, from being sequestered to being liberated, from dissociation to association, from darkness to light, from feeling isolated to feeling loved. It's time to take the bag off of your head. And it starts with confessing. And I get it, there may be consequences. But you need to know first and foremost that there are no consequences with God. And it is far better to live with consequences in the light than it is shame in the dark. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. And during this time, I'm going to speak to God on our behalf. But I want you also to be thinking about what your thing is. And I'll give you a little space in the prayer to do that. 
What is the bag? Maybe just pick the one biggest thing because we've got, each of us has like a billion of them. You know that, right? So um, maybe there's the biggest one that you feel like is isolating you from people in God. And I want you to be praying personally, specifically about that. And also who you're going to tell, a person that you're going to talk to about this. All right, so let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace. The confidence to know that right now as we sit before you and we think about the thing, the secret, the shame, the regret, the mistake, the sin, that as we think about that thing, first of all, God, thank you that you already know. So there's no secret here. It's foolish of us to think that we could even keep a secret from you. There's no secret here. You know. And as we confess that, as we honestly confess it, say it, think it, I pray that you would be, as your word says, faithful and just to forgive our sin. And that right now, as we confess it, as you forgive us, you would cleanse us, help us start over. God, for some people... The bag, the, the, the thing that they need to confess is unbelief. And I get that because I deal with it too. To have the willingness to say even to you, because you already know, to say to you, God, I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to have faith. I'm not sure if you're even there, to be honest. I, I, I wonder sometimes if I'm talking to the sky. God, I pray that you give them the boldness to confess that to you. And I believe that you will do the same thing for them that you do for me when I say those things to you. You'll send confirmation. But it's like we have to say it first. And God, whatever shame, whatever sin that someone is dealing with today, I pray that you would give them boldness right now. And confidence beyond that to step out, to take that thing, to look it square in the eyes, to, to knock it upside the head, to drag it out into the light, to confess it, to be bold, to make the leap, to make the jump, to cross the line so that they can be in the light instead of in the dark. Help us not to live in the dark, but to live in the light where you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that makes it possible. I pray, God, that someone would come to faith in you today for the first time would say, I've been, try I've been living in the dark my whole life. I've been trying my best to be a good person, but I know it's not good enough. And today I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior to pay for my sin so that I can be forgiven of my sin and not so I can go back into my sin, but that I can move in a new direction, cleansed from all unrighteousness, moving towards holiness, becoming like Jesus Christ. I pray, God, you would put it in someone's heart to make that decision today, to turn their life over to you, to take the bag off of their head and say, God, finally, I get it. Finally, I believe. Finally, I can look you in the eye and not be afraid of you, to not fear your judgment, but to rest in your peace and in your freedom, to become your child. God, I pray as people make that decision today, you would welcome them into your family, that you would fill them with your spirit so that they can follow you all the days of our life and begin this upward cycle of confession, forgiveness, and cleansing instead of the downward spiral of fear 
and shame and secrets. God, help all of us to ride that cycle up and get closer to you and closer to the people around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.